Excuse me, could the government transfer me some chips, please? (laughs) (laughs) You're a gig worker, no. to Into the Wormhole with Larissa and Lauren. I'm Larissa Maestro, and I'm here with my number one. A very tired Lauren Lowen. She's tired, you guys. But I'm here for you guys. Ugh. It's the morning time. I feel all you Star Trek parents out there, I feel ya. My <laughs> two-year-old son woke up at 4.40 in the morning, so I did That's too. just unforgivable. Yes. And... <laughs> So you should so just never speak to him again. <laughs> I don't think that's going to work. I don't think that's going to work. Yeah. But yes, I, I had coffee about an hour ago and I was like, I still need more coffee. So second cup of coffee, but we're going to go strong. Yeah, we got this because because I mean, it's a big one today. Oh, my gosh. I, it's seriously. a really big one. OK, Larissa, before we start, um, I have to give out a little shout out to my brother. Because, listener, if you didn't know, we had our siblings somewhat involved in the last episode um, as far as motivating and influencing the topic of Threshold and from Voyager. And I wanted to publicly apologize to my brother and just have a little correction because I said that he'd only seen some of Deep Space Nine. And we were just talking after the fact. He loved the episode. But he corrected me and said, I've seen all of Deep Space Nine, just for the record. He's like, <laughs> he's like I, excuse me. Yes, yes. He's like, I he's like, I went back and I watched everything. He said, even including the baseball episode, which he thinks is is better than I let on. Um, and I would agree. <laughs> like, <laughs> But yeah, so I wanted to publicly uh, apologize to John and say that um, sorry that I misrepresented your uh, Star Trek a watching record. Aww. I mean, you know, we don't want to minimize anyone's contribution to the nerddom, you know? Yeah. Or 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 a participation in the nerddom, I should say. Yeah. I also would like to not apologize to my sister for giving her so much shit for liking Threshold. <laughs> but also, y'all can like whatever you want. Everyone is allowed to have guilty pleasures or not guilty pleasures, you know? Just like like the things you like. Like the lizards. Like the tongue removal. <laughs> I'm wondering if we could start something. Non-guilty pleasures. Non-guilty pleasures, right? Yeah. Like, I am not ashamed. I don't think I'm ashamed of any of my quote-unquote guilty pleasures anymore. I think I'm totally fine with all. I will admit freely that I probably once a month listen to at least one Kelly Clarkson song. <laughs> <laughs> Unironically. Yeah. <laughs> ah. Well, speaking of D Space Nine, we're talking about D Space Nine uh, today. Oh I mean, I was talking about my brother in D Space Nine, Threshold is Voyager. And again, if you haven't heard that episode, uh, go back one and listen to it. We think you'll have fun. But today we are yeah. uh, kind of taking a different, uh, a different tone. Yeah. Yeah. You want to introduce this episode, Larissa? Uh. Y'all, we're going on a journey today. 
Um, and it's a journey that's not too far into the future. <laughs> uh, since since the uh, the recent beginnings of a revolution, you might say, have begun in our country, a lot of Star Trek fans have been discussing the prescient nature of this episode in particular, and that is this two-part episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine called Past Tense, and it's a season three, episode 11 and 12. People are talking about it because it feels like it's currently happening, and it's spooky. (laughs) Yeah, I think I have in my notes... I, I literally wrote this. This is a little freaky. That's what I wrote. Um, this was made in 1995. Yeah. So um, yeah. it's supposed to be sort of a cautionary tale. This was, uh, you know, after the L.A. riots happened of the early 90s. So it's yeah. it's after that. But it's before a lot of modern things. And it's a, it's amazing to see how much has happened that definitely feels like this episode is... Uh, yeah, eerily more current than ever. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, I've just seen like references to this episode popping up like left and right in different Star Trek communities online. Um, and like people making pretty unironic memes, like kind of serious memes of this episode. Um, because it's wild how like when I was watching this, there were so many times when I was like, damn. Yeah, it's a little like too close for comfort, right? It is. It's very like intensely like feels intensely real. And I mean, I remember the last time I watched this episode was maybe I I mean, I want to say it was like five or six years ago, probably. Um, Yeah, probably same here. Yeah. And I didn't have that. I mean, my reaction to that episode at that time was more like. Ha ha ha, look at Jadzia's hair style and like, you know, maybe that I thought Ghost Dude had was not the best actor. And like I was I was like not thinking as much about how like topical. (laughs) Yeah. How how yeah. How topical it was and like how. I mean, even those those things, the things that are happening now that are like coming to a, a a boiling point, those things have been happening for a long time. You know, like income inequality has been happening for a long time. It's not new, but like it's it just feels like like it, like this episode. If you watch this episode right now, it's going to punch you in the face is what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 It, it's just it, again, it's a really surreal experience to watch it and see how much of the stuff has been kind of um like you said ongoing but then how much of it there's like a few whether it's quotes or moments that I'm like oh damn like that's very <laughs> 2020 2019 you know recent yeah. um, to the point yeah. where it's just like again it, it's a little freaky it's a little weird um yeah and then also you you reminded me this morning that this this uh episode takes place uh, at the end of August 2024. So like we are like four years away from <laughs> from when this is supposed to take place. Yes, we're almost like by the time this like, episode almost comes exactly. on, I think we're going to be like three days away from the anniversary of this of the bell huge riots. event. Yeah, that happens <laughs> in the episode. Oh. Just by coincidence. 
Yeah, just by coincidence, we actually didn't even plan that. This is not supposed to be like the anniversary of the Bell Riots episode, but but I guess it is now. So there's so much to talk about with the characters and the themes and everything. Um, I think we're going to do our, our quick summary like we usually do. Um, mm-hmm. Just a quick overview. I feel like this is one we're going to have to kind of tag team. You know, it is a two-parter, yeah. so there's yeah. more going on, but I just feel like of all the intricacies, it's going to take our powers combined um, even if we try to keep yeah, it Yeah, we can simplistic. Captain Planet this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just don't want to be heart. <laughs> I'll be heart. Yeah. <laughs> poor heart. Nobody wanted it. to be heart. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, yes, past, past tense. Um, this is a time travel episode. And a transporter accident it episode. It is. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right. We're going to get into that, too. But, um. Uh, what you have to know is this starts on Defiant. We have Kira, O'Brien, Dax, Cisco, and Bashir. They are going to uh, they're going to Earth, right? Because they're talking about visiting Cisco's sister in Portland. Yeah, I was like, wait, he has a sister. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who we never hear about, right? Ever, and especially like the later developments with Cisco's mom. It's like, wait a minute, um, right? Oh, well. Maybe this is Jennifer's sister. Maybe this is his sister-in-law. Oh, there we go. Okay. So, okay. So, they're they're going to the symposium, and uh, it's very simple. Yeah. I know. Symposium always, always makes me think of, like, like the Scholastic Book Fair. <laughs> <laughs> if only. Right. Cisco, Dax, and Bashir are going to teleport down to San Francisco. Uh, the teleportation seems to go as planned, except they never arrive, and it doesn't coincide with the records in the Defiant. So O'Brien and Kira are trying to figure out what happened. Then we find out um, with another cutscene in the opening that Bashir and Cisco are found unconscious in San Francisco, and two security guards who kind of look like Poorman's Ghostbusters come up and yeah. wake them up. And uh, we quickly realize that something's wrong. This is not San Francisco. Yeah the right time period and and their pips are gone their comm badges are gone yes and so the security people are asking for you know where's your id give us some proof of who you are of course they don't have any of that so they are taken away to this um what they call these sanctuary districts for processing meanwhile dax is found in the subway by a kind of upper class white dude and he I call him nice rich white guy <laughs> yes <laughs> and and he uh takes her I was gonna say takes her away but basically he's like do you need help and he takes her back to his office so that she can you know get the help she says I I must I must have been robbed and stuff like that um and so basically these... she also did not lose her com badge which is yes. an important point yes, yes. which she which she very promptly calls her brooch um she's very like on point. I was like, oh my God, Dax is so smart. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, so you find out they're in, in 2024. And so there's this kind of a story B story where Bashir and Cisco are in these sanctuary districts, which are meant for people that are jobless and homeless. And it's basically a domestic social program that's gone horribly wrong with red tape. And it's just sort of failing the people who are in it. And then this other track of Dax, who has been kind of introduced to upper crest society and is getting the help she needs um, just by kind of the luck of the draw and some white privilege and um, her trying to find them. While this is all happening, Cisco realizes the date, which is getting, I think it is like August 30th, 
Yeah. Um, he says, hey, in a couple of days, the bell riots are going to happen. And what the bell riots were is a time period where things in the sanctuary district got to a boiling point. And I use that. Yeah, he calls it phrase. a watershed moment. Yes. Yes. Where hostages were taken by people in the sanctuary district. And one man, Gabriel Bell, was able to keep the hostages alive, even though he was part of that situation. Um, he dies when the law enforcement come in and kind of, you know, take the area back. But the the death of Gabriel Bell and the overall incident sparks outrage with the people and causes them to really take um, more of a look at this system in place and what's going on in society. And it's, like you said, a watershed moment that is supposed to help move mankind along towards the path of having the Federation and just, you know, brighter days ahead. Yeah, that's great. Oh, and important. Oh. No, this is kind of important note. Important yeah. note. However, uh, since yeah. Bashir, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm not done. What am I doing? So uh. that's a, a noted part of history. Unfortunately, uh, Gabriel Bell dies while trying to intervene when Cisco and Bashir are having a scuffle in the sanctuary district. He dies. So Cisco realizes, shit. If we want this important uh, historical moment to take place, uh, I'm going to have to pretend to be Bell. And so Bashir and Cisco end up becoming a part of this hostage situation, um, along with some other characters that we'll get into. And basically, they make sure that it all happens. And towards the end, like Dax finds them, they get back home. Help me, Larissa. After, what am I forgetting? After, <laughs> after Kira and O'Brien hilariously and also very cheesily end up beaming down into different time periods looking for them and then at the end guess the right year somehow and then end up finding them and are able to get them back to the ship. Yes, yes. So, yeah, uh, getting them back on the ship is actually pretty... I, I like how you put this in a previous episode, Larissa. You said the story knows where the stakes are. And yeah. fortunately, they know, like, here's the story we're really trying to tell. We're going to kind of lightly fill in the whole, like, rescue part of it. But th yeah. they give you enough just to be like, okay, we found them, and now we're out. Yeah. it was. It's also like, do did we need comic relief? I don't know if we needed it. Um, but we got it. Oh, I have some comments <laughs> about that when we get into it. Oh my god. Yeah, I have some things to say. I have some things to say about it. <laughs> we have things um, to say and things we will say. Yeah. So uh one of the things that I love about this episode is that it's it's almost as if for these characters, um it's like it's like for us if we were to go back in time to like the civil rights movement or something and to like just just think about like what you think you would be doing what side would you be on what how would you be helping would you not be helping um and most people would say like yes I would I would be you know I would be walking across the Edmund Pettus bridge you know I would be like I would be a freedom rider I would be like you know like I would be standing up for oh yeah what's right or but but at the same time like it's it's impossible for us to really know what we would be doing in that scenario. I mean, it's, it's completely impossible. This is sort of interesting to me because it's like, it's like doing that to these characters from the far future, but bringing them back to us where we are now, you know, it, it like changes the perspective on, on looking at like 
would you be willing to stand up and do the work? And, you know? and because we're in the near future, again, this was 1995 episode. It's supposed to be almost 20, nine years, 20, 20, years, 20. Yeah. Just 20 years, right? 19 years, 19 Wait. years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's 2024. Oh my God. Math. <laughs> Help. <laughs> now who needs coffee? Hey guys, this is Larissa. I just wanted to pop in here and let you know that Lauren and I are terrible at math. And it has, in fact, been 25 years since this episode aired. So every time we say the wrong number, just remember, it's been 25 years. Bye. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that you're putting something in the near future, you can have the luxury as a writer to kind of weave this story that is obviously influenced by current times, by historical times, but also you can tweak it for what you also want to to say for the future uh, about mankind in general, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's a it's just very interesting how Iris Stephen Bear and Robbie Hewitt Wolf ended up tweaking it to be uh, like now basically but yeah now it's funny because we're getting close to 2024 and it's like oh so there were a, there were a lot of moments that really struck me pretty intensely but um obviously one of them was that we're we're in a a, a moment in time right now where there are a lot of protests currently happening and we are we're seeing rioting sometimes, but mostly we're seeing a lot of protesting. We're not seeing people taking hostages. But we are seeing a reaction from our government in a lot of ways that is similar to the reaction that we're seeing from the government in this episode, but against people who are unarmed and don't have hostages. So like that that was like like seeing that, like like hearing stuff like they're sending in the National Guard. And, and having heard that on the news recently, you know, but knowing that the National Guard is going in to to contain peaceful protesters currently. And then in this episode, knowing that like the writers had to like had to be thinking like this is this is a, a reaction that that for them is still over the top yeah and for and for it's really interesting because i recently went back to kind of research some of the points of the la riots Ah. um and national guard was called in then and it Mm -hmm. you know things did get there was a lot of looting there was a lot of destruction it's it's kind of echoing a lot of the stuff we have seen of just right riots and protests turning into riots um yeah where because i don't want to use the word riot too much yeah um, because there usually what is happening either now or in the past is that, especially in the daytime, there will be thousands of uh, peaceful protesters. And yeah. then at night, some some of the more violent actions and destructions were by people who were protesting. But then you also did have a lot of French people, just like we're seeing now, who are coming in to take advantage and push agendas that are completely outside the initial cause. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So some of it was inspired definitely by the LA riots. And then we're literally seeing like history repeat itself to some degree. I mean, if things are different, obviously, but yeah, that's, that's kind of um, 
happening here as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then also taking into account the fact that we're talking about marginalized groups of people that have been uh, disenfranchised for hundreds of years that are now like it's coming to a head. And like if you're part of the rioting, but you're you're not somebody that's coming in and and trying to like manipulate the situation in order in order to forward a different agenda that's most likely countering the agenda of the actual protest then I'm like Target's gonna be fine you know what I mean like Target is fine Target's making billions of dollars well and here's here's something too before we get too into it I was thinking about it's very important to point out with this episode that they make it a point to say that the sanctuary districts have nothing to do with people who have done anything criminal in fact Cisco even tells Bashir because Bashir's like, what crime have they done to deserve this? And Cisco says, oh, they haven't. Like, criminals aren't allowed here. Because there, there has been some commentary, if you've read up about it, about how some people kind of complained this was too preachy of an episode or too um, liberal. Too political. Yeah. And I think that's because, and it's funny because, like, the fans love it and get it. And it seems like people who maybe are outside of Star Trek see it and they don't, since they're not familiar with Star Trek, they kind of take it the wrong way. Yeah. But I think one of the points of uh, confusion is that um, this isn't supposed to be a, a penal system. These aren't people who are drug dealers. They aren't protesters who started looting. You know, these aren't people who stole food for their families. They make it a point very episode, very early in the episode to say that these people have done nothing criminal. They, they literally are just people who have no jobs or have no place to stay. And yeah. this is the social program that has sort of crumbled and failed them and this is what happens when you have a failed system as well as a society where perhaps people have just forgotten how to care yeah 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 and 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 what happens when you have like very and they make this very clear too when you have very vast income inequality and when you have an overly controlled access to information yeah I, I mean this is also I mean so many things that are so like wow I've heard people say that so I, I'll, I'll say this and this might lead nicely into uh some discussion that um I really love that the way that they wrote this episode they had some of the characters experiencing the sanctuary districts and then they had Jadzia experiencing what it's like to have privilege at this time. And I do also wonder like if it was on purpose that they Oh yeah. They they sent the yeah, they they had the white woman able to access a computer and able to get her ID and like taken care of by a a rich kind white man. Um and then they have the two characters of color sent to the sanctuary district. who are also men i mean we'll be honest yes. too. there's definitely some yeah like I, they very much in my notes that i read acknowledge that they wanted to show an attractive young white woman will be treated much better under these circumstances than you know two men of color yeah yeah and yeah, what is absolutely. kind of wonderful about that uh opening too when they're all discovered is the fact that they're literally wearing all the same clothes so there's there's no other social markers it's not like yes oh well Bashir and Cisco are wearing dirty clothes and like they're all in the goofy pajamas as the security guards call yeah exactly uh yeah but I mean this this episode comments everything on socioeconomics to broken social programs to 
um, you know, classism, sexism, racism, all those, all those fun topics, right, kids? Um, but yeah, they're definitely <laughs> right, kids. There definitely is some commentary about, you know, the in this case it works to her advantage, but like the sexism of it. Um, mm -hmm. And then yeah, there's definitely some some comments about um, racism in play. Um, and so again, Jessia having to they don't be, like talk about it outwardly. It's not, and I do want to get into yeah. that because we've talked about casting in the past, and I thought this casting the casting of this episode is very interesting. Yes, it, again, like if you're if you're a listener and you're not sure what white privilege is. This is a good example where it's like three people are found unconscious <laughs> on the streets. The white one is like, poor you. What happened? Can we help yep. you? And the other two are <laughs> whisked are away. Are black and brown and they get basically thrown in uh, jail. So like a whole, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, let me get into that. So it's very interesting. We have a lot of characters. I also Ooh. have to admit that like it was hard to for me to remember anyone's name. I don't know anyone's name. It's okay. Uh, I got a couple. <laughs> I have I, I have nicknames for them. Um, I, yeah, I have nicknames for everyone, and I also um, I do remember Webb. Yeah. Okay. Good. But I, but I one, also he's the only one. But I also I called him around. Dad. <laughs> I also called him Gimme Dad. Gimme Dad. Gimme. <laughs> that sounds oddly uh, like sugar Gimme daddy. Ew. Sorry. That's not what I'm. Ew. <laughs> gross. I also have Hat Guy, who I found yeah. out is his, his name in the show is the initials BC. When I was okay. doing my research, I was like, who's BC? I'm like, oh, it's Hat Guy. Um, yeah. But yeah. We'll, it also just like almost didn't matter what anyone's name was, truly, to be honest. Truly. Yeah. Um, it almost, I, I feel like, helps the listener if we do talk to them in regards yeah. to their nicknames because it's easier yeah. to remember. Like, it's like nice, rich, white guy, white, hat dude, yeah. dad, <laughs> unemployment lady. Yeah. Social worker lady. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So, but overall, I'll just make the statement that, um, I, I was very curious at the beginning of this to see how they were going to cast. Yeah. Just like who's going to be white, who's not going to be a white character. Um, what, so, what are the background actors going to look like? Like what are, yeah. Yeah. Just details like that. And so like? I, yeah. I feel like we'll get into that later because it makes more sense if we kind of flesh out the, the, the characters a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, but, but yeah, before we start, just to reiterate the point that we were, were saying you got to remember the the districts are for people who are literally just jobless and homeless, so or mentally ill. Yes, yes, yeah. which which obviously is a very um topical, you know, thing back then and and still is. But so if you're trying to kind of equate this with, like you you know the modern modern things about you know again like those kind of gray areas of morality. That yeah. episode does a good job of like stripping that away and saying no, we're not trying to talk about that. We're literally just trying to talk about like society's um view on the less fortunate and you wrote a note as far as i like how you said uh one of the guards sort of represented how people only have the worth as far as if they have a job and if they're bringing monetary value to the economy yes yes it's that's something that like i've been thinking about a lot recently um as i've been uh like mostly unemployed and I'm sure a lot of people in the world are thinking about this now especially those of us in the states who are, are still basically quarantined um that like our our value as people in this capitalist society that we've built is really linked to money in so many ways and 
there are endless ways to contribute to society that that have nothing to do with the economy but those are not you can't measure those things so like here you have somebody who like might not be able to work because they have mental illness or they have a disability of some kind so they can't contribute to the economy but that means that those people end up in a place like that in the sanctuary districts or even now I think oh I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt yeah and or even now I mean similar like we're seeing that people like that are are having trouble getting unemployment, um, having to go through a whole lot of red tape. Maybe people, a lot of people like that, it's very possible they haven't filed taxes in years. That doesn't mean that they're not a person. You know, that just means that they're not contributing to society in the way that is uh, socially acceptable and seen as valuable. And it's interesting to see it like very specifically sort of painted out for us in this episode to see like the people in this situation of no fault of their own and just because they're not like running a company or even like working at a company or like making this or making that or doing doing something to to contribute monetarily to society that doesn't make them inherently less valuable yeah the example i was gonna give was you even look now with everything's happening 2020 just just the child care crisis like parents who Yes. Can't do the job they still have because, you know, they they have their kids, um, whether that's because schools are out or just young kids who maybe were in a child care center that's now closed or they just don't feel safe putting them in this kind of um, circumstances that we, we've almost been trained in a way subconsciously to. Yeah, just it, I mean, it's one of the first questions you usually ask someone when you meet them, like, "Oh, what's your job?" or something. Uh, we yeah. put a lot of of self worth in our identity as that, and right now, that's getting messed with a bunch. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, <laughs> I guess uh, should we? Talk? We're getting deep. It's We're. All I know. So I keep deep. feeling like we keep getting to these deep points, and and like meanwhile, it's like, God, we got to talk about more of the actual episode, or else. People aren't gonna know what the hell I mean, we're talking about. <laughs> it is. It is though the actual episode. This is like right? like we're. It's that's this the is, weird thing. This is the episode. Like talking about current events is talking about this episode yeah. in a lot of ways. But one of the lines that struck me was Cisco tells Bashir because also in this episode Bashir says I love it. He says I don't know a lot about 21st century history. It's too depressing. Um, and Cisco knows, <laughs> which is like oh you don't know Bashir. You don't even know. Um, and then Cisco literally crying. Yeah. <laughs> Cisco takes the role of being that person who is read up on this. So, you know, we get a lot of details about what's going on because Cisco has to kind of uh, tell Bashir things and yeah, yeah, get him up to speed. But I love it. At one point, um, Cisco just says that the people in the sanctuary districts are, they're just people. Yeah. So what happens yeah. in this society is, yeah, you, you lose your your job. You don't have some place to stay, and um, you could end up in one of these, which is supposed to be a kind of like social welfare setup, but it's been sort of twisted and turned on its head, and people just basically get stuck there. Um, it's yeah. a walled-in yeah. part of the city where it's overcrowded. Uh, food is scarce, and because people outside don't know what's happening in there. They just assume, and you hear this a lot in in the conversations in uh, the the echelon that that Jadzia ends up in. People outside not really understanding what yeah. they are, 
and calling them those people. Yes. Things things that we hear a lot instead of thinking like, why are they in there? What is happening? Um, is everyone okay? Because those problems don't affect them directly. So and and we see that in current events. Yes. And unless like those problems are made very public, um, as they are at the end of this episode where everyone just like goes and tell I mean, it feels very much like social media, you know, the way that, that mass media has become. Um, and this was before social media too, you know, yeah. they're talking about getting on the net and broadcasting <laughs> to everyone. But yeah, the that that uh that parallel also is is very clear clearly defined yes. uh that you know there are these people with privilege that because they don't feel the effects of this uh social problem are content to just let these people disappear into the sanctuaries and and not know what's going on luckily jadzia meets a, a nice white rich guy that does care eventually eventually but i feel like he's not brought brought over to the cause he just cares about dax which i think by the time we get to part two i'm like should they be this close like have they earned it really i mean he he does like let them get back on the net and he loses his license apparently he does like have an actual concrete sacrifice that he makes even though like it's not going to affect his standing socially you know like he's going to be fine he does it i feel like he just does it for her though and not like the cause like yeah he doesn't yeah which but also weirdly there's no like i don't ever feel like he's like trying to fucker i agree no i agree i want to give a note a call out because i even have a note um there's one when he finally lets her like she finally we find out gets to call whoever she's supposed to call and and get her id back and they're gonna you know transfer some some chips that's what the the money is used uh, and he's like oh my assistant has set up a hotel for you and so he's just saying good night to her and uh, he just opens yeah, he's the not door. Like I'll meet you there. Um, there's no like awkward touching as she leaves. There's no like in the very beginning when he's helping her in the office building, he does have his arm like out for her to stabilize. But that's more yeah. of a like I just was unconscious. So here, let me yeah. help you. <laughs> um, so to be honest, this is the least believable part of the entire episode. <laughs> No, 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 he's just No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm glad that so this the person we're talking about is is yeah, like the the white rich um guy who's part of this media company and uh his name is Chris Brenner? I'm gonna, we're gonna call him Chris. Yes. Um, sure. That and, sounds right. And so he who like I feel like I looked him up. He's been in so many things. He's just one of he's those been guest in so actors. many things. I yeah. feel like with a little bit of styling he could be David Bowie in something. He kind of looks David Bowie. Oh, a little he bit. does. Um, Only like the, he's dressed so straight edge. Like so <laughs> like there's nothing edgy about this guy at all. He even talks about getting rid of all his tattoos he has to for the government jobs. Yeah. And that that might be the one thing this episode got wrong was that in the net. But the fact that it was like, nope, yeah. they got that wrong. Now everyone has tattoos. Everyone, nope, everybody has a tattoo. You have to have at least 20 <laughs> by the time you're 15. It's just a rule. Um like I get the feeling that he genuinely like he likes her. Like if she if she came on to him, I don't think he turned her away. Yeah, but, but also it seems like he's kind. Like he does seem yes, yes, caring. He's more of just like he's upper class. He's disconnected from the realities of what's yes, going on. Yes, uh, yes. he's naive. He's, he's there to obviously get Dax in a better position than Cisco and Bashir. Um, it's he's also there to illustrate like the the ignorance of 
um, yes, and to have of, like of most of society, and to and, have a party full of other ignorant, fancy people. Yes, yes, and like and like hopefully provide like maybe an example of somebody who could come around, you know, with the right information, which which I think is also like some legit shit for right now times. Sure, sure. I mean, people are talking <laughs> about using your platform. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, this guy literally uses his platform. Like, he has he has would, access to the net. He gives them access. That would, oh my god! Like, if this <laughs> if this was like reshot today, he would be like a an social, Instagram influencer. I was say he'd be an influencer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna lose all my sponsors, but it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> he lets them live stream from his Instagram. <laughs> Okay, so we were talking about Dax, and she's kind of sitting pretty with her shrimp cocktail and her her <laughs> nice clothes, cocktail. which also I love because like fashion in four years from now is, I'm just making a face. Yeah, yeah. What like what? It's it's huh? I do. I did say in my notes, I'm into her jacket. Like I like <laughs> it. Um, yeah. But also like also it's kind of. It's different. Um, it's different. So yeah, if we if we bounce Let's get over into the sanctuary, to, I know. So yeah. again, we're in the now we're in the sanctuary districts, which again are supposed to be these these good places for people to find housing and job opportunities with the government, but really they have sunken into being uh, overcrowded, dirty, and full of. I would say groups that have become territorial. I'm not going to say gangs because that's not accurate, but yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many people that it's like. You know, there's little pods of people who are sleeping on the street, but you're not supposed to sleep on the street. All the buildings are meant to be for everyone, but they've gotten so full that they all have basically like their own makeshift guards so that they can kind of, these people can protect their building. And no, you can't get yeah. into this building. You have to go into survival mode because yes. this place yes. is sort These of people are in survival mode. Exactly. Yes. And so they have varying degrees of types of people in these scenarios um one of them is what did you call him gimme dad <laughs> gimme dad yeah they have um his slang. name's web his yeah, name's his web. web we should explain some of the slang oh yeah the slang let's 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 yeah so, this the is, slang. so if you are a dim like a dim bulb that means you are somebody who's mentally ill um if you are a gimme that means you are somebody who is there legitimately looking for work like give me a job give me housing um and then you have the ghost who are people who are kind of in there and how do they describe describe them they're i mean they don't really describe them per se or define it per se but like what it seemed like people who are violently taking advantage of other people yeah in in the sanctuary and to me it seems like there's a lot of crossover between dims and ghosts yeah yeah i was a little confused but it seems like these are the people who are going to um pull a knife on you and pull and ask for your food card or something Um, yeah yeah and like like and i say that because dude hat dude (laughs) definitely seems like he has he's supposed to be a ghost yeah but he also seems like he could use some mental health care I think that the way the dude played him, he's not just like a bad dude, so you know, because in general, yeah. like I've, I'm opposed to like being like people are just bad people and they're just going to do it's like, 
well, if he was, uh, if he was in a scenario in which he didn't have to do these things and he was getting the help that he needed, he would not be taking hostages. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So let's like, let's talk about Hackeye because we're definitely into him. Hackeye is a very important part of this um, episode. And basically, as as Cisco and Bashir are walking around, Hackeye is introduced as um, <laughs> we we are. It seems BC, but we're just gonna call him Hackeye. Hackeye. Um, that hat's very important apparently in this episode. Except um, he very willingly gives it away at the end. Well, but well, we will get into that scene. Um, <laughs> he His character um, in the story, the one we first see who really is kind of that, that person you don't want to mess with. Like they kind of stumble upon yeah. his little part of the street and he sort of harasses Cisco and Bashir. He later uh, tries to rob them and get the food cards and bully him. And then that's when the real Gabriel Bell, who the Bell Riots are named after, the real Gabriel Bell steps in to save Cisco and Bashir, but he dies in the process. Um, so, yeah. oops, that's that's the turning point where Cisco realizes, shit, I have to actually kind of fill in for this historical moment that's supposed to have yeah. Bell. Um, when these... Um, riots start and when the hostages are taken you realize that hey surprise hat guy is sort of the ringleader of this operation and so cisco and bashir and also another character um webb who we kind of alluded to as gimme dad they kind of come in and they're all running this show and cisco's having to try to um wrangle i would say um hat guy from not getting too trigger happy and making the wrong decisions because the whole point of the the incident was that none of the hostages died and the fact that yeah, gabriel yeah. bell passed away um or was you know I, I guess he was just like shot when the police finally yeah, yeah 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 the fact that he was shot and um you know it was later revealed to the public that like nobody was hurt um that's what kind of causes this this um unrest and uproar by yeah it makes it makes gabriel bell into a martyr exactly exactly so Cisco's trying to preserve that, and and Hat Guy is threatening that. Yeah, well, because Hat Guy's goal is very different from Dad's goal. You know what I mean? Like like the Dad Guy, uh, or or Hat Guy. <laughs> the whole reason Hat Guy, the whole reason he's taking hostages is because he wants out. Yeah, just I him. He, he like, wants money want in a plane. Money. He, want, he wants yeah. to go to Tanzania. Is that what it is? Uh, does he say Tanzania? Like, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, no. He says Tasmania. Tasmania. That's right. <laughs> He's like, Errol Flint's from Tasmania. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. He, um, he's been just kind of pushed to his limits. And he's like, get yes. me the hell out of here. But he's, he's also in a position, too, where he's like you know hierarchy of needs he's still he's on the bottom right he's still thinking like shelter food clothing those things so so like he in his personal desperation is like i want out i don't care about anyone else i just sure. need to figure stuff out for me um he also i i think he's also mentally ill so like there's there's that in it as well and then and then you get cisco who has foresight like he has he knows what's supposed to happen and he knows what the outcome is he sees this web guy and he's like this guy is an organizer this guy knows that sanctuary districts have to go and he brings him in to sort of change the situation flip the situation and be like we can get you the things that you want but we have to get them for everyone 
Yeah. And not just for you. Like the whole the whole point then becomes for the true story of what's happening inside the sanctuary districts to be exposed. And in addition to that, communicating with government to get what they're calling the Federal Employment Act, I think, to be reinstated. And then there's that whole conversation that, that ends up happening between like the uh, representative from the governor's office and Webb and, well, Cisco as Bell. Yes, and yes. Changing, changing the narrative then so that basically what he's doing is like babysitting hat guy uh, who who's just like wants to shoot people so badly um, and is just like so like he has such a short fuse and needs to be just like mitigated constantly. And then you have Webb, dad guy, who's who's like actually trying to make change happen. We should say he's an actual dad. Like that's kind of, um, that's we're not we're just calling, calling it because he's like an older guy. He, cause he, he's a dad. He meets uh, Cisco and Bashir. Cause while they're trying to get to the rooftop of the building, they run into Webb who is um, carrying over his son who just got uh, beaten up basically. And Bashir yeah. offers to, um, he wins Webb over by actually, giving him like sound medical advice and being like, yeah, okay. Like kid, you, you need to get bandaged, but you're going to be okay. And so that's what yeah. kind of wins Webb's trust. And yeah, you find out Webb is trying to organize something like Larissa just said. So when these riots take place, Webb is part of it, but he's more, he's more cool headed. And as Cisco kind of points out, Webb should be the face of what's going on inside the sanctuary city during this um, very, you know, very, tense situation because he says something like Webb is their neighbor or something like they will respond to him he's every man he's relatable which is kind of like sad yeah it is in a way but but unfortunately like Cisco knows which I couldn't figure out if that's because Cisco just knew unfortunately that's the way it was going to be or if Cisco was trying to make him the new Bell, not because he wanted Webb to die, but because since Bell was dead, Cisco's like, shit, like I gotta. Yeah. I, I couldn't figure it out if he was trying to do that because he was trying to stay out of the history books, like at the end of the episode when it's right, literally Cisco's right. face. Um, here's or the, if he okay. was just like, here's, he, we need, I need somebody who actually like has lived this to be the face of it so that they can speak to it. Yeah. I need to go back to Hat Guy, though, <laughs> if that's okay. We need to go back to Hat Guy. We do. So I, I found out in my research that Bear was very happy with Hat Guy. Okay. Um, in their mind, in the writing room, Bear was, I mean, not Bear, <laughs> Hat Guy, <laughs> was like they said if, if he was just out in the world, he'd be like a mechanic. Like he definitely comes off as sort of like an every guy, maybe a blue collar Um um, and somebody who just is sort of your your default guy who got thrown into a situation like that, and then things start to get more and more desperate and more tense, and this is what happens. Like his character was supposed to represent that. Um, so I actually don't. I think he will need some counseling after he gets out of this, but yeah. I don't think he's supposed to be a dim in the way that they're alluding to people who are schizophrenic or like the Clint Howard character we'll talk about who. You know, um, so I, I really interesting because yeah. like I look at this dude and I'm like, 
you need help. Well, see, I don't like maybe it's because of the way that this guy's played him that he he like has like okay he has he seems unhinged. I think that's and, like he's well, he, he seems is. like yeah, he but is, he but, but he, seems it, he wasn't like, supposed to be like that before he went into the sanctuary. Yeah, according like, according to the notes. Yeah. Okay. If that so, makes but sense. But to me, I'm like I'm seeing this like. Okay, because there there are so many different kinds of mental illness. Like to me, I look at the character and I'm like, yeah, this is this is also a symptom of the fact that like mental health is not part of our healthcare system at all anyway to begin with, you know. And like this person needs help. Yeah, I think I think this is more to illustrate how how desperate people can get. Like we were kind yeah. of saying in the in the beginning of the episode, where you take a person, yeah. And, if you if you if you poke and prod them enough um you know and here's the thing i think we're kind of picking up on which is one of my biggest complaints is i was actually surprised that bear was so happy how this character turned out because for me he's like the weakest part of the episode yeah and i'm wondering if it worked better in 1995 and just the fact now that we're looking back at him at 2020 we just realized it kind of reminds me of when we're lightly talking about the deep space nine episode with um bashir's um the uh, like the really smart people who also got oh, and how we were saying yeah. like oh shit you look at that now and you're like oh this did not age well like I yes I think, I think you know what I think you're right because I look at a character like that and now in current times where I am now in my self in my head I'm like that person needs help but like in the 90s there's this conflation of of mental illness and and evil. You know what I mean? Like this person who is to me obviously mentally ill, like he's kind of supposed to be bad, but also he, like yeah. I feel like he they they also kind of wanted him to be sympathetic kind of, but I, I don't yeah. find him to I, be totally sympathetic. Same here. And it's there because there's not he's played so like he's he's not three-dimensional, you know what I mean? Like I completely so, agree. He lacks so much stuff. He's just like, I'm going to steal your shit and I'm going to take hostage and I'm so predictable. Yeah. The- and instead of like, what's your fucking story? Like, who's this guy? Like, I wanted to know, like, what, why is he in here? Because my first thought, again, was he's mentally ill. He couldn't hold down a job. And that's why he's here. Yeah. It's it's kind of, um. so I, 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 I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um. And I, I get what the whole time I, I totally it. understood what heck I was supposed to be and what he was supposed to represent. But I agree. He came off as very one dimensional in that yeah. role. And I, I, it's a, <laughs> he, <laughs> it didn't help that they also were trying to give him some comedic like role right? lines. Like there were times they were trying to make him funny and I'm like, don't do that. But I agree. Like now I feel like if they did this, they would throw in a couple of things just to make him a little more well-rounded, a little more sympathetic. I, I kept yeah. watching him and thinking, like, if Alan Rickman did this, like, if this character was played right. by Alan Rickman and we right. got somebody who came off as a little more, we use the word nuanced all the time. Yeah. Because, you know, you're saying about how, like, or we are about 1995 versus 2020. I mean, think about 1995 just from an actor-director point. I could totally see yes. the script saying, like, you know, hat guy is unhinged and just leaving it at that. Yeah. And then the actor's like, okay, but now th- there would be like another paragraph or two about the Yeah, notes it would about be like, why? He, used to, he was a mechanic. He <laughs> yeah, lost like, job or like his, his business folded and, 
And like all of these factors came into play for him to end up in this situation. Yeah, like, and now what like, does unhinged yeah. mean in this point? Like, yes, you can't just yes. say that anymore because it could mean so many things. I wrote hat guy seems like a disservice to storyline. He has a chance to show a side that is volatile and angry, but still valid in, in his frustration. He comes, yes. he comes off as a stereotype of the people in there or believed to be in there. And I think yes. that's, that's where I think Hakai is not successful is that he's supposed to be this stereotype of who you think is in there. Like all those people at the fancy yes. party, they think everyone's like Hakai or they're now like Hakai. But Hakai needs a moment where you realize, oh, there's more to this than we realize. And he never gets that moment. Okay. So, yeah, that's the thing is that like when I look at this character, I'm like, he's battling mental illness. But I feel like that they show mental illness in other ways in this episode. And that character specifically, I feel like would be so much more effective if he really was more of an everyman who was like, Hey, I don't want to be doing this, but I have no choice. You know? Yeah. Like, like, like someone who's just like, I've given up because nobody is there for me and I have no support. And I don't care about the system because the system doesn't care about me. So I'm getting the fuck out of here and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make that happen. Instead of someone who's like, I am so ready to shoot someone in the head. You know, like it's, it's, he's like, not, I'm just like, oh my God, somebody just like knock him out already. You know, like just, just, just knock him out and tie him up. Just knock him out and tie him up. And it felt like they were trying to give him lines that were somewhat funny and they kind of fall flat. Yeah. I was like, he is not funny. Yeah. Like when Dax comes in and he's like, all the good ones are taken. We could have had something special. And I'm like, I was like, ew. Like that's, I know they wanted people to chuckle at that line and stuff, but it was gross. Yeah. I was was grossed out. It felt like, again, like they wanted him to be the comical relief. But it's like, no, no, just, you know, pick this other lane and try to, yeah. So the security guards, let's, uh, you have, first of all, Dick oh, Miller yes. is the head security guard, which yes. I don't know if you're familiar with Dick Miller. Yes. Um, a lot, he's been in so many things and so many he's more been noteworthy in things. So many things. When I looked it up, I was like, oh, Gremlins. Like he's, yep. <laughs> he's in Gremlins. He's in inner space, which is also with, um, I watched a shit ton because it had um, Robert Picardo. Yeah. Um, and was always on HBO. Which we have, we have met, we have mentioned inner space on the show yes! before. So I definitely recognize him, but he's, he's yeah. kind of the head. Uh, well, he's not like the head, but as far as who picks up Bashir and Cisco, you have two security people. There's Dick Miller, who is white. And then his kind of uh, second in command, who is um, appears to be a person of color, uh, and then the the kind of social worker lady who processes mm-hmm. them, she's color unemployment woman. lady, yeah, yeah. So like, I loved her. Sides. I loved her character a lot. Yeah, yeah. So the that woman I thought had some good lines. She's she's uh, yes. basically talks to them when they first get processed in the. What did they call it? Like the processing center? It's literally yeah, called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and she's like a hellish DMV. That was yeah, exactly. I was. My, I mean, my thoughts there were like I've been navigating the unemployment system in Tennessee <laughs> since pandemic started, and it has been a fucking nightmare. There is so much red tape. You don't know who you're supposed to call. Everyone just tells you to be patient. 
And like everyone you talk to, it's not their fault. You know what I mean? Like you're on the yeah, phone with somebody yeah. at unemployment. They're just doing their job and getting mad at them isn't going to solve anything because they can't do anything to help you. They can only do what they can do. So I'm watching this and watching her and being like, I feel like I've spoken to you on the phone in the past few months. It's that government employee that is stuck working within the system that they can't properly manipulate to actually help anyone, but a system that is designed, that is supposed to be designed to help people and their hands are tied, you know, and they're just kind of complacent getting through. Yeah. Getting through the day and going home and watching a bunch of Netflix and going to sleep and then getting up and doing it again. Like, it's- well, and it's interesting because also I thought one of the things this episode kind of touched upon, which seemed very now, you know, very current is they give, uh, she, she's there in the beginning, but then when they take the hostages, hostages, she's one of the hostages. And, uh, Bashir is checking in on her because he notices that she needs medical help. Um, so they just are talking and I noticed that you picked out this line, too, in your notes. But uh, Bashir says, it's not your fault. Things are the way they are. And she says, everyone tells themselves that and nothing ever changes. And I thought she definitely oh, that, reminded me. That of, hit me. That like Yeah. And that felt like a conversation we're having globally as a country, just, you know, amongst friends and families. This idea of complacency and um, when it when it comes to some of the issues we're having right now. As, mm-hmm. as a society the fact that um she she to me represented that person who thought she was going to a job where she could make a difference and help people and then has become disenchanted with that role yeah. and she feels like um even though she like you said it's not her fault she feels some personal responsibility right like, yeah right. maybe i'm not hurting anyone but am i really helping anyone yes yes. yeah and that was a very like i know (laughs) it it was like deep deep like a deep dagger because like it's also easy to get to that place where you feel like you feel like your hands are tied because of the way that that these systems are set up um they're so difficult to navigate or or they literally make it impossible for any actual change to happen I mean, like we're seeing with the way that the unemployment system is is working right now, like the fact that there are so many people that were relying on that 600 a week. Right. So like they're being told like, oh, just just be patient. It's fine. They're seeing people in their government that are like, well, that's going to deter you from returning to work. And they're like, but I can't return. Like people are are finding themselves in situations where they're between a rock and a hard place and there's nowhere else to go. And so they're like, well. It's so easy to just be like, just throw up your hands and be like, I don't know. I mean, like, what the hell am I supposed to do now? And and she's kind of the example of that person who's like, I wanted you're right. I wanted to do something good. But like she has been uh, beaten into submission by the system. Yeah, Downtrodden. Um, Yes. Yeah. Or these are cases where these these um, systems in place, these programs, you've had people for many years, even like just teachers, you know, just right places, right. you know, daycares, you're just saying for years about what the faults are, how we need to improve this. And it, they've, yeah, they've been yelling into fixed. the void. And now it's like, we're seeing it all hit at once. What right. happens when these problems are not addressed? Yeah. Right. Um, right. Exactly. So she definitely she, represents that. And I, I thought that was nice. Those little moments they used of her. 
Yeah, and I th- I thought that she was a really really good actor. I thought it was cool that the writers were like really trying to find specific ways to point out examples of of certain types of experiences in in this economy, in this society and and really like you know, use them as direct examples of things that are happening in the world. Um, and do them in mostly a way that was very sympathetic and and relatable, um, except for Haggai. Yeah, I also <laughs> feel like the security guards at some point, like they have a conversation with Bashir, kind of. But like, I feel like they're they're <laughs> they're just they're also just kind of like a, and they're not stereotypes. It's not the right word in this case, but they they just kind of are one note. And it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, they have a friendly conversation about baseball with Cisco. And now they're like, he's not that bad. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they very much seem like cops, you know, like they're they're like, um, I mean, like, I, they're, like I'm sure they're supposed to. But media like, type of uh, portrayal of cops. Yeah. 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 But also like there's the younger cop who's who's like, I just want to go home to my family. Like he like this is just a job. Like I'm not, I'm not invested in this the way that my supervisor is. Like I just really want to get my shift done, and I want to go home to my wife and my kids. Like I'm, I'm just trying to make ends meet, and that's like a very real story about, you know, people that work for government or people that are in law enforcement. There are a lot of people like that, and then here's this older cop, basically, who's been sort of hardened, and again has sort of given up on the idea that like his job is actually supposed to be helping people like that conversation he has with Cisco toward the end when Cisco like grabs him and pushes him against the wall he's like they're people like what and he's like what am I supposed to do like what do you expect me to do because like he's he's also uh, a victim of the system in a lot of ways. Yeah, it goes to show that on many levels there are broken parts. Yes, yeah. yes. And it's it's really like pointing them out very specifically yeah. like like for older cop guy <laughs> Dick Miller. <laughs> yeah, for Dick Miller, I mean, he doesn't have a choice either. Like he's stuck in a situation. He's probably been told over and over and over again that this is just how things are. I mean, there there is a lot of that in this episode. The the just be patient. People people saying just be patient. Like like don't rock the boat. Like this is just how things are. We just have to like yeah keep your head down. Keep and, your head and down. Like, yeah, stay in line and it'll be okay. And and it's true. This isn't like a fairy tale where it's like oh if you kill the evil king everything right? is fine. It's showing again like a, a whole system of of problems and issues that have to be worked through. Yeah, yeah. And that it's going to take time to recover from. Like at the end it's like, well, now the work starts. Yeah. It's not it's not like and now there're just flowers blooming everywhere and there's a rainbow and everything's fine and now Starfleet. <laughs> like, like the end of Picard where it's like <laughs> and the the ban is lifted and okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my god, like, exactly. <laughs> Could they not have taken a cue from this episode and been like, this is actually legit. This is where the work starts. The work starts after everyone comes out of their brains and realizes what the problems are. Like that's, this is, this is where it starts. Now we can start 
making it better. It it was um, a catalyst for change because one thing that doesn't happen, we're not we're kind of ignoring the whole Kira O'Brien storyline of yeah. them trying to figure out what's going on and rescuing them back. But they just get to a point where yeah, it's, I mean, like it's fine. where they're like the Federation just does not exist. And it's yeah, alluded yeah. to the fact that if this event does not happen, the Bell Riots, and it doesn't happen the way it's supposed to, that there is no catalyst for society to change. And therefore, we're not going to have the Federation. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Whew. Okay. I know, right? Ooh. So let's see. And there are more. a lot of, there are moments in which, uh, in this episode, you you definitely feel like they're talking to us. You oh, know what I mean? They're like, they're like, hey. Uh, I mean, can we just talk about it? when Cisco and Bashir first get to the processing center, and Cisco is having to kind of get get Bashir up to speed and explain oh, what's yeah. going on, the importance of the date. Yeah, he's explaining the Bell riots and over Gabriel Bell's death. He says out, you know, he says there will be outrage over his death. The U.S. will finally begin solving the social problems. And it's like, oh, Oh my God, that feels a little too close to home right now. Um, Wowza. Yeah. So like that. um, Also, just some other lines I'll just throw out there. Yes. That I like. Julian at one point says, I'm I'm kind of like shortening the quote, but um, causing people to suffer because you have forgotten how to care. Yeah. Um, which I feel like, unfortunately, is very now. Yeah. I mean, that's true. applicable in so many different ways right now. Yes. Yes, definitely. But is it just me or is Bashir like extra cute in this episode? I, I was reading that the the feedback for Bashir was very positive this episode, that he seemed very capable. I think people actually enjoyed seeing him stand up for himself physically. Yeah. Um, I think people probably want to hold hands with him. <laughs> This was a good turning point for Bashir. Yeah. Um, Cisco at one point, they're talking when they're negotiating. He and Webb are negotiating with sort of the female representative of the outside world. And she says, change takes time. And Cisco says, you've run out of time. Oh, my God, y'all. I felt was like, oh. Yep. Um, I mean, there's, there's so much of that happening right now. I mean, I'm like... How long do we have to wait? How fucking long do we have to wait? Oh, my God. Thinking about, like, that representative bringing that offer from the government that's like, well, we won't prosecute you, but we're not going to give you anything you want. Or they're like, we're going to make a committee and they're going to look into these issues. Right? I mean, that feels very much like I, I have in my notes, like, that feels pretty much like the way that our governor Bill Lee of Tennessee has reacted to the peaceful protests that have been going on at the Capitol and the Plaza for like the past 60 days. Um, They wanted a meeting with him. They wanted to talk to him and he just won't meet with them. They're trying to talk about uh, the fact that like there are statues of white supremacists and, and Klan members in our Capitol. They want to talk to him about police brutality in Nashville um, there are a lot of like important things that they want to discuss with him and they've been peacefully, they've literally been sitting outside and singing outside of the Capitol. Right. And the reaction has been, they've, they sent the Tennessee state highway patrol in and would just frequently arrest large groups of peaceful protesters and send them to jail 
unprovoked. Like these people are not armed. These people are not doing anything violent or dangerous. And then very recently they passed a bill to uh, make it a felony to camp on the public property near the Capitol, which means that anyone who, because they'd been camped out there for over 60 days, that anyone who um, is caught there can be arrested and convicted of a felony, which then in Tennessee means that they can't vote. Yes, yes. And it's like- I have been up to speed on that. I was so angry, but it was like, like seeing that in, seeing, seeing the, (laughs) the, the offer from the governor in this episode of we won't prosecute you, but you don't get anything that seemed like nicer than (laughs) what's actually happening in our capital, you know? And I think also there is something about that offer too, that comes off as like, you know, we'll protect you guys and you, I think it's like, they'll have a very minor, right. You know, like the only, per, uh, you know, you'll only be prosecuted for, yeah. for this violation, which is like a much minor one, but you know, but yes, the, the, the language of like, we're going to set up a committee to look into it. I mean, that's something you hear all the time. With, yeah. Whether it comes to human rights or women's rights or, you know, just like so many different things, socioeconomic um so yeah that's everyone's like a, trying like to set up a damn committee yes exactly exactly everyone's trying to set up a damn committee for some and it's always gonna take it's just like be patient and it's like we just literally like we just told you what we want we need to fix what needs to be fixed like we just literally gave you like the things that need to happen we just told you <laughs> have you ever seen the good place with uh, yes. Kristen bell uh, do you yes. I, I hope i'm not spoiling anything for anyone i don't think i am but they're they're the when they set up a committee, um, yeah, and they're like, well, we're gonna set up a committee. It's gonna take us like a thousand years though for the committee yep. to establish the committee. Like it's this great scene that just sort of um, yes, yes, you know, just satires that whole process. And but it's real. That's some real shit. It's, it's a say. It's a way to say you're doing something, while maybe not doing something. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. It, it is interesting. I feel like we should point out. I don't, I'm sure you read this. Um, I remember from it way back. Um, one of the weird things about when they were actually filming and making this episode was that it came up in the news that the mayor of L.A. at the time was going to propose a fenced-in area to put the homeless in L.A. This was happening in 1995 as this episode was being created. So the cast have gone on file many times on record, I mean, to say, like, this was really weird. <laughs> we were making yep. this episode and they were, it was kind of mirroring like these real issues and discussions that were happening about what to do. Cause that's a big thing that inspired um, this episode was just like the homeless of, I think Santa Monica. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it kind of, I just recently, yeah, I just recently saw a meme that someone made that um, they like took a screenshot from this episode uh, and they, they put it right next to like, uh, an actual photograph of homeless camps in San Francisco now. And yeah. it was just like, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of creepy. You know, um, like, yeah, so, so they just said that so was spooky. a very surreal experience to be actually working on this episode, but having something like it happening in real life, just yeah. uh, happening lo- alongside of it. Um, can we talk about Clint Howard? Yes. Because I feel like we've mentioned him. We need to go into 
Clinton Howard. I'll just quickly say when Dax, Dax finally gets into the sanctuary district by pulling some strings and hacking her ID card so that she can get past sanitation. Yeah, Dax is doing some Dax shit. She's doing some, Dax is like Daxing this situation pretty Dax. Um, (laughs) It's Dax-tastic. She pops out of a a sewer. Um, (laughs) But she looks great and smells like roses. And then suddenly is being followed by Clint Howard being extra weird and creepy. I had totally forgotten that he was in this episode. And when I saw him, I was like, excuse me. Yeah, he's in the credits. And I'm like, Clint Howard? Um, I saw him just following her in that scene. If you don't know Clint Howard, I will just say, listener, you do know you do know Clint Howard. He is Ron Howard's brother, right? Yep. And he's he's just an actor who constantly gets casted to be these sort of oddball, weird characters. Um, He is on an as a child, he was on an episode of TOS. I can't remember the name of the episode. Okay. Uh, I know he was in another episode, but I couldn't remember what it was. I um, was, I have met him actually. I really? was on an episode of what the hell was the show called? I was, I was hired to be like in a string quartet on an, on an episode of a TV show with, it was like a, sh- it was a show starring Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh. And I was in a scene with like in the background, like, like sitting there playing my cello in the background of a scene with Clint Howard and John Corbett. Okay. And a fish tank. And it was really weird. But, like, Clint Howard was adorable and so sweet and kind and, like, came and said hi to everyone and was, yeah, he was very cool. I was also, I was also like, I was also like, same kind of reaction to seeing him in this episode as I had to seeing him in person that one time. I was like, wait, wait, are you, is that, uh, uh, yep, that, that's, that's it. That's Clint Howard. Yeah, and um, <laughs> okay. I thought you would appreciate this. I read that the role that he does, it's a really quick, like, not even five-minute role, was meant for Iggy Pop because um, Iggy Pop had expressed, uh, he's a fan of Star Trek, and he wanted to be involved in the show. And this part was originally written for him. Iggy Pop then became not available. We know he later shows up in Deep Space Nine as a Vorta. Yeah. Um, which probably as a, as, was, You mean as a as a Vorta? <laughs> Being, <laughs> being Iggy Pop, is he, yeah, which ended up being a jolly good episode. Um, that so was maybe me it's doing a good an Iggy Pop that, yeah. Sorry, everyone. But they kept <laughs> this scene, and I, I don't know how they're just like, let's just get Clint Howard. He's on, he's on the Paramount, you know, set. Um, Clint Howard's yeah, so, always around somewhere. Clint Howard just just appears out of the ether <laughs> <laughs> when you need him. He popped out of the sewer, too, that day. Oh, yeah, he just popped out of the sewer. (laughs) Yeah, anywhere. It doesn't have to be a sewer. That sounds horrible, but just, um, yeah, so he has this We're saying that because Jadzia popped out of the sewer. Everyone's just popping out of the sewer in this episode. He is a dim in this episode, which is one of, which is sort of the slang term they have for one of the severely um, mentally ill people who get stuck into these districts the way that unfortunately we have people today who get stuck in sort of uh programs and in places that maybe they shouldn't be um but he's well, like, and, and houselessness being like a, a large percent of people without a house are people yes who very true have have problems with mental illness yes yes we're battling mental illness and so they have this really weird five minute thing that was meant for iggy pop 
Iggy Pop wasn't available, so they got That's Clint so Howard. That's so fucking weird that it was meant. Like, I'm trying to right? imagine him. I can't. It doesn't. I can. I think it doesn't work. I think this seems weirder with Clint Howard. Yes. Um, but basically, you find out that um, Dax has a man who took her her com badge. Um, yeah. And they need it back. And I thought I thought what happened was that like she needed information, and that was like the only way she could get it. Like she had to trade it. But yeah. I guess he just takes it from her. Yeah. Um, so so that's a little weird. But she's like, because you to go don't, back don't and see find any that of that. So yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It just she just shows up at the center where Cisco and Bashir are, and is like, this guy has it. So they have to go back to the guy in order to make sure that the distress signal. Um, you know, works with what O'Brien and Kira are doing as far as getting them back. And so they just randomly go into one of these buildings. Clint Howard is there and he he's definitely, he's like, whoosh, I'm invisible, you can't see me. And Bashir and Dax are like kind of playing along with it. Yeah. And uh, he's like, oh, I just don't want the aliens to see me. And she's like, well, remember, I'm a good alien. And so she kind of plays into his, you know, vision of the world. And yeah, he gives it back and it's to supposed her, to be funny because she actually is an alien, and that's y- yeah. But I, yeah, but, but truly, it's like, why was this in the <laughs> yes. episode? Though <laughs> there are two times in the episode that I feel like were meant to be palate cleansers, but they just come off as tonally weird shifts. This is the first one, yeah, because it's just like, okay, that was a, a thing that happened. It totally feels like. Now that you know it was written for Iggy Pop, and if you know how Iggy Pop just wanted to be in the show, that seriously feels like something they shoehorned in. So it really doesn't Absolutely. add anything. And then the second time is the scene you brought up where um, Kira and O'Brien, as far as trying to figure out what time period they need to go back to when they're in the hippie time period. Um, yeah. Because it comes right after Cisco and Dick Miller's character have some pretty potent conversation. Yeah. And it's, and it's just like, Man, hard hard cut to like, woo, there's a hippie van and the yeah. Jimi Hendrix experience is playing. Yeah. And cut to silent blonde hippie chick making peace sign and handing fake flowers out. I was like I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. So those are <laughs> those are like the two times, especially since it's a two parter, that they thought the main thrust of the story was getting a little too heavy and they mm-hmm. thought we just need like little breaks. For the viewer, yeah. like maybe some lightness. Lol. <laughs> no, but like for I'm me, it doesn't about work. Television now, I'm like now I'm like a uh, Watchmen. You know, like <laughs> yeah. For me, like these the, moments just like felt sci-fi very TV nowadays, and there's it's just like oh, this is gonna make you depressed for a week. <laughs> but we meant to. Yeah, I mean, this is like why. And and I think you're totally right. This is, this was totally like, you know, one of the writers being like, maybe we're getting a little too intense. Maybe we need to lift it up a, for for just a second. Yeah, we need something yeah. here. And it, yeah, just I really don't need it. I don't need any of it. It's <laughs> it's very silly. So like, I mean, in general, I'm I'm not gonna say that I didn't enjoy watching these episodes because I did. Like, they're impressive. I mean, these episodes are generally considered to be some of the best episodes of Deep Space Nine, but it was hard to watch this right now, you know? Yeah, it definitely, um, it definitely, like I said, was very surreal. Yeah. Um, surreal to think about all of the, all the stuff that is so true, like, you know, 
government sending in in the National Guard and like watching people uh, be beat up by law enforcement and knowing how many people are, are just caught in the bureaucracy and the red tape of trying to get government support and help during a crisis and like seeing all of that played out 19 years ago on television as a cautionary tale is like almost to a T like what's happening now is just yeah I found I found a review of this episode that was at least 10 years old and then you read the comment section and this is 2008 2009 and people are being like whoa this shit is real like this feels more you know important now more than ever and it's really weird and I'm thinking like Oh, 2008, 2009 you people, have no you have idea. no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. Oh my gosh, this is before the 2016 um, election. You still had no idea. <laughs> oh, I mean, there's just been right. so many things. Everything from, I mean, we're talking a lot about COVID. We're talking a lot about, but everything from Black Lives Matter. Um, things I feel like in the last year or so, but you have to, you know, we had yeah. Occupy Wall Street. We had, we have so many things that have happened since 1995 that it would take us yeah. forever to go into them. I hope one day I don't have to say this, but a lot of the issues they're dealing with are kind of timeless. Yeah. And that's, the you know, some are timeless and then some are really freakily now, like with the comment about, you know, having, you know, a black man that's going to die. Yeah. And it's going to spark like outrage. Um, and and, yeah. and we will definitely and recognize also the that wide, there have been... wide sharing and storytelling over social media as yes. well. Like that specifically being part of this story. And I, d- I definitely just want to say for the record, obviously, we recognize that there have been many, many other deaths that have happened, you know, not just the 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 more recent one of George Floyd. So um, just to make sure we're not, you know, yes. not not acknowledging the fact that this has been an ongoing yes, issue. Exactly. But I would say. It's it's a good episode. There are some things that I don't I, that I think would be handled differently in 2020. Oh, absolutely. Mainly, yeah, yeah. Ma- mainly hat guy. I I feel like, <laughs> uh. and I hate to say it because I understand what, his character is a is a needed element. I think in 2020 we would have handled that differently. Absolutely. I mean, there are so many guest characters and actors in this this episode. Like normally, it's like, you know, we get one. person or two people two new people yeah like we get just one or two or whatever but this episode there's a whole new cast yeah there's a whole extra cast that we're spending time with that's I mean that's why it's two episodes but they still like don't have enough time to really give us everything because they waste so much of it going to the 1960s and then (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we didn't really even bother talking about what's going on Defiant at this time. It doesn't even right. matter. Like, it doesn't it's, matter. It's just not the the main thrust of this episode. Um, but I I would definitely say if you haven't seen this in a long time or ever, uh, watch it just because I think it is not only an interesting episode of Deep Space Nine, but it's definitely interesting to watch it now. As Larissa and I were talking, it's been a, a good chunk of years since we last saw it, and it's. Boy, talk, it's weird. I mean, this episode has to deal with time travel in a weird way. When you're watching it, you kind of feel like you're time traveling. Yeah. I mean, this is this episode is is like an example of exactly what Star Trek is is specifically as a as a franchise in science fiction. It, this is what Star Trek 
does best is uh, provide an allegory for uh, current issues in our society and Mm -hmm. in our culture. Like this is what Star Trek has always been good at. This is, this is like (laughs) so the opposite of the episode we talked about last week. (laughs) Well, and it's interesting too, because I was reading something that has pointed out the fact that, you know, in the past with Star Trek, you always had Kirk or somebody who was kind of like an outsider looking in, whether it was a different alien species or, you know, kind of the the the, the well-meaning white character who was always introduced in the situation. And with Deep Space Nine, you sometimes you got um, m- much more just on the nose representations of one of the things I read about this article with past tense was that sure we have Dax, but you know, with with Cisco being an African American captain, and yeah. then Bashir being you know a a mixed heritage character, white British with North African heritage. This is one of those stories that they've told many times in Star Trek, but with Deep Space Nine, they started to show what happened when these characters went back, and they were the ones who were being yes. oppressed. Yes. Um. So the fact that they acknowledged that stuff and really, I think, started to push these stories from a different angle and a different perspective was really important too. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's a thing that like for such a long time, like, like people of color don't want to time travel. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we don't want to go back in time. We're women. Because like things just, yes, of, exactly. We're kind of fucked. Like the farther we go exactly. back in history. <laughs> things just get worse and worse and worse the farther you go back. So, so time travel is such a sort of perfect example of, in science fiction, a perfect example of white privilege to be able to write these these like stories of like how wonderful would it be to go back and see King Arthur? And it's like, well, if you're white, yeah, it would be great. If you're a, <laughs> if you're a white dude, white, that sounds yeah. awesome. Good, go for it. Exactly. But but like, no, I'm not doing that. Or other things. <laughs> like I totally recognize. Like I'm I'm married to a man of Jewish descent. I realize in the time period of nazi germany and the holocaust that would have been enough that would have been enough yes. to pluck yes. me away goodbye and yes yes like <laughs> I'm, I'm very aware of those things um i know people always say hi like, we're two people who would a- not have survived the holocaust <laughs> people are always like oh if you could live in another time period what would it be and it's like actually that once you think about it yeah it's like tomorrow it sucks for a lot of us <laughs> maybe next year is the yeah, the time period <laughs> Yeah, but as far as history goes, it's like, I don't know. know. Like, no. Yeah, no. I mean, I, it's, I, that, that is specifically, like, definitely a thing I appreciate about DS9. Just the fact that you now have a black captain. So you can access these stories that you weren't able to access before because here you have a character that has a permission a to go into these places too. yeah a prominent yeah. character the star of the show has permission to enter these spaces now and discuss them yeah there's i mean we'll we'll have a whole episode that talks about it but it was a game changer and i think people are always i think a lot of people forget that even in the mid-90s like some some fans lost their shit over the fact that avery brooks was cast as the captain yep 
Racism is everywhere. <laughs> but I think it's important not to forget that, you know? It, it's yes. so easy for us to look back at the big changes Star Trek did in the 60s when, you know, you and I recently talked about, like, the first interracial kiss. And when people think about those kind of watershed moments, we usually go, like, way back. But in the 90s, it was a big deal that Avery Brooks got casted. And it big, also, it was a big deal that Kate Mulgrew got casted. I mean, there was a woman and, before her. Yes. But, yeah, the fact that they were, yeah. gonna, like, it, it's kind of... We kind of forget that I think sometimes mm-hmm. that in the nineties, yeah, we 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 still we still don't have our shit figured out, and back then we definitely didn't. Man, Avery Brooks is so good in this episode too. Mm-hmm. Like he's just because you know, like the way Avery Brooks is as an actor, sometimes he can be very big and over the top, but he is so calculated and so yeah. uh, purposeful with his acting in this episode. He doesn't let it out until he lets it out i'm just i was impressed as fuck with him in this episode i was like this is does my sisco yeah he has a lot to work with i sometimes the way cisco is written like sometimes he just has to go to like mad or heated cisco or impassionate cisco and he begins to talk like this yeah yeah and, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah and his voice gets higher and, and yeah, it's like staccato yeah. starts happening but in this episode yeah, there's yeah. a lot of um quieter moments and, and larger moments and i feel like he really gets to to play with what he's been given so and also like a fun fact the the actor who does show up briefly to be the real gabriel bell um is his stunt double um, yeah is Avery Brooks stunt double as Cisco so but of course they kind of mentioned like he's he's in it for two minutes and of course he has to get stabbed to death like I guess it happens a lot yeah. to the stunt doubles um <laughs> oh also another little tidbit that I forgot about Frakes directed yes! part two of this episode the, yeah part two yeah and part two is like the heavy one yeah this is this is like this is the shit this is Star Trek you know like I'm like these are the episodes that may that are like star trek <laughs> like that that for me make star trek more important than other sci-fi in a lot of ways like just like literally like giving you the thing and pointing at it and be like being like see mm. do you see this here we are we're here <laughs> yeah but- and and not only doing that at the time in 1995 but but continuing to do that 19 years later yeah it'll give your brain something to chew on oh yeah Yeah. and it's gonna and that thing is going to be a very tough piece of beef jerky (laughs) (laughs) ah right now i'm tired and i need a nap well, is it time for us to beam away? It might be time for us to beam away. Thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, thanks for, for like, going along with our, our sort of, like, now plan of, like, doing something silly, doing something serious, doing something silly, doing something serious. And, and uh, who knows? Who knows what we'll do, though? Like, there's no promise yeah. we're going to keep that up exactly. Yeah, who knows? Like any, Like, literally anything is possible, y'all. We just felt like this was an important one to talk about right now. And on the anniversary. Right. <laughs> of the August of the future 30th, bell riots. 2024 bell riots. Yeah. So, yeah. So, thank you. We hope you guys join us next time. We will also have uh, another 
Well, you guys will just have to find out. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. It's a surprise. Maybe it'll be In fun. Maybe it'll make one you way. cry. <laughs> we love you guys. Find us in the collective at intothewormhole.show, on Instagram at intothewormhole.podcast. Into the Wormhole is brought to you by We Own This Town. Sometimes I, I watch these episodes and I wonder like, oh, if they literally cast this today, who would it be? And my thought was like, would Kid Rock play hat guy? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Kid Rock.